Can a company backed by neocons be trusted to regulate internet news sites as to their reliability? How might social media sites like Facebook be forced to embrace tools which jeopardize independent media? What is the Integrity Initiative and how is it interfering with political processes in the UK and abroad? How might a Canadian federal government bid to have a five-person panel monitor foreign interference in elections serve to marginalize dissent? On this week's Global Research News Hour, we examine the hidden agenda behind efforts to patrol fake news proliferating on Facebook and other media platforms and what it means for the future of dissident opinion and independent, non-corporate media. We will hear first from Whitney Webb about her expose on the recently spawned news rating agency and fact-checker NewsGuard. We next hear from Patrick Henningsen, geopolitical analyst and founder of 21st Century Wire, about other mechanisms to control and contain the flow of information that challenges the narratives, enabling militarism and corporate profiteering. On this week's program... Who guards the Guardians, NewsGuard, the Integrity Initiative, and other threats to an independent press? Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of February 8, 2019. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe Gakin, the homeland of the Métis and the traditional territory of the Nihiawak and the Nakota. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. In the specific case of withdrawing from the INF, there is little need to raise a big hue and cry as was the case with the Paris Agreement, as the media intelligence military apparatus has a lot to gain from this. This just goes to show how the MSM and their rolled-out experts thrive on war and the money that is to be made from it. There is a major psyop going on to convince the American public that the withdrawal from the INF Treaty and the resulting arms race with major nuclear-armed countries is apparently the best way to keep America safe. The withdrawal from the INF Treaty opens the gates for a new nuclear arms race that will bring great advantages to arms industries with great returns for shareholders, executives, and CEOs, all paid for by the American taxpayer. It is more than probable that the official defense budget in 2020, having to cover for the development of weapons previously prohibited by the INF Treaty, could be more than $800 billion, seeing an increase of tens of billions of dollars in the space of 12 months. That comes from the article, One Step Closer to Nuclear Oblivion, U.S. Sabotages the INF Treaty, by Federico Pieraccini, posted February 6th, originally published at Strategic Culture Foundation. Just as the government shutdown ended, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management quietly listed many new sites in their attempt to expand the sale of oil and gas leases. Among those sites includes land outside Chaco Culture 
National Park, and other public land revered by Native Americans, the Associated Press reported. The Great Chaco region in New Mexico, which includes Chaco Canyon, is a major center of ancient Pueblo culture and a UNESCO World Heritage Site, EcoWatch reported. Oil and gas has already devastated our state's air quality, water quality, and flow and public health, Rebecca Sobel, senior climate and energy campaigner for Wild Earth Guardians, said, quote, It's clear that Trump administration will stop at nothing to sacrifice public interest for private profits, unquote. That comes from the article, U.S. Bureau of Land Management lists sacred land outside Chaco Culture National Historical Park in newest fracking lease sale by Ashley Curtin, posted February 6th, originally appearing at Nation of Change. Twitter and the DFRL appear to be turning a blind eye to violations of Twitter policy from pro-opposition networks while taking aim at allegedly pro-government disinformation operations, while neither has provided evidence of such a campaign by the government. In many ways, the war in Syria served as a testing ground for propaganda tools, from the U.S.-funded civil defense group White Helmets to U.S.-backed Kurdish fighters who were portrayed as defenders of an anarchist commune in the north. But Venezuela today exists in an even more precarious position online due to the advent of institutions and quote-unquote experts that have made a name for themselves in the frenzy that has followed allegations that Russia used coordinated inauthentic behavior to sway the 2016 presidential elections, even more so because social media giants like Twitter and Facebook have acquiesced. For example, back in July, Twitter and Facebook were unaware of any state actors manipulating social media besides Russia. Since then, they have levied such accusations against Iran and now Venezuela. That comes from the article, Twitter Greenlights Venezuela's Pro-Opposition Online Blitz Shuts Down Genuine Opponents by Alexander Rubenstein, posted February 6th, originally published at Mint Press News. International criminal lawyer Christopher C. Black explains quite clearly in The Lima Group International Outlaws that the world can see that the Lima gang, who like to use the phrase the rule of law in their diktats to others, are committing egregious crimes under international law, and together these crimes are components of the supreme war crime of aggression. The Lima Group Therefore, is a group of international criminal conspirators, and the every individual involved is a war criminal. So when the Lima conspirators issue their press statement after the Ottawa meeting, planning aggression against Venezuela, calling for the overthrow for the head of President Maduro, and dressing it up in the usual language of the aggressor of human rights and democracy, and their fake and illegal doctrine of responsibility to protect— it will not be issued by nations interested in peace or who have respect for international law, but by a gang of criminals of international outlaws from NEO. That comes from the article, The Lima Group, Conspiracy to Destroy Venezuela, by Mark Taliano, posted February 6th with files from New Eastern Outlook. 
These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. On March 5, 2018, two longtime journalists and media entrepreneurs, Stephen Brill and Gordon Krovitz, announced the launch of NewsGuard, a company that claims to be dedicated to restoring trust and accountability and using journalism to fight false news, misinformation, and disinformation. According to NewsGuard's criteria, news sites are judged as to their reliability rated according to background content and ownership. The news rating agency was ushered in on a wave of concern about the proliferation of fake news on the Internet, which, it is argued, skewed the 2016 presidential election in Donald Trump's favor, and which may have been masterminded by Russian authorities. NewsGuard is running into some resistance from independent media outlets, from the general public, and even from the social media giants being tasked with inoculating their platforms from the scourge of false information and disinformation. Much of the pushback is likely attributable to a major expose from Mint Press News, published on January 9th. This in-depth report discloses the backgrounds of the figures driving the NewsGuard initiative, suggesting an ulterior motive to their fact-checking project. The author of the expose is Whitney Webb. Whitney is a staff writer for Mint Press News. Her work has appeared in a number of online outlets, including Global Research, the Ron Paul Institute, and 21st Century Wire. She's also a past guest of this program. The Global Research News Hour reached out to Whitney recently and asked what drove her to investigate NewsGuard and about the specific concerns she had about the people backing it. Mint Press, where I write, was originally contacted by this group and asked us to answer a series of questions that, from our perspective, seemed very biased. And, you know, it was it was very clear from the questions they had not even bothered to really look at our page. Um and, and, you know, they were questions that were worded in such a way to put us on, on, on the defensive right away. So it really seemed like there was more to this group than, than met the eye um, originally. Um, and so we're still in the process of being rated, supposedly. But anyway, after asking these questions, you know, um, my uh, Mint Press's editor, um, Manar Mukhawesh, she asked me to look into the group. Um, to see if I could find anything, you know, go on the offensive rather than wait for us to label us unreliable or smear us or anything like that. And that's how I actually ended up writing this expose because this group, which a lot of you had sort of slipped under the radar before, um, you know, um, their their connections to all of these, um, you know, people, uh, former government figures, people in establishment media and neocon think tanks, you know, were all there, but no one had really heard of NewsGuard. And that's because, you know, only really in the past two or three months, They've been doing this big media blitz to really promote themselves, at least in mainstream media outlets, as the answer to the fake news problem, um, which I think is, um, you know, troubling when you consider who's on their board of advisors and who founded NewsGuard. And we can go into that in a little bit of detail, um, either now sure. or, or at a later point. But it's, you know, the, the connections these people have, um, you know, just by virtue of their their advisory board, I think is is something that um, has raised a lot of red flags for people. Um, so, uh, as an example, you mentioned the the 9/11 uh, color coded terror alert that was implemented by Tom Ridge when he was Secretary of Homeland Security under George W. Bush, and he is on the board of advisors of NewsGuard. Um, uh, another person that we find there is Michael Hayden, who was former director of the CIA, former director of the NSA, and he's also a principal at the Chertoff Group, um, which is 
you know, funded uh, or uh, co-found, which was co-founded by Michael Chertoff, who was also another Secretary of Homeland Security, who's also the current board chairman of uh, one of the world's top weapons manufacturers, BAE Systems. Um, you also have Richard Stengel, who described himself at a panel discussion hosted last year at the Council on Foreign Relations. He described himself as Barack Obama's, quote, chief propagandist at the State Department and openly admitted that he wasn't against propaganda and felt that every country needs to do it. And he doesn't think it's, quote, that awful, which I think is significant when you consider the fact that NewsGuard claims that it is, you know, uh, you should trust them because they're veteran journalists and, and they have, you know, appropriate uh, opinions about what is reliable and what is not reliable and that, you know, they, they are trustworthy and independent and nonpartisan. They use these words independent, nonpartisan a lot in their in their own material promoting them, right? But when you have, when you look at, you know, these people on their advisory board, you also have other people that are connected to major PR or PR firms, um, a former White House communications director, um, head of PBS, um, other people that are very much in the establishment media business as well. So I think that, um, you know, has raised a lot of red flags for people. But also, I mean, if you look at the CEOs themselves, you know, there's two CEOs, two founders of NewsGuard, um, the most troubling of which, in my opinion, is Lewis Gordon Krovitz, who used to be, um, used to basically, you know, had, had a top position in, in the Dow Jones, you know, of Wall Street. He was also publisher of the Wall Street Journal until that was sold to uh, Rupert Murdoch's group. Um, he's also a board member of, of Business Insider, which, you um, has received a huge million, tens of millions of dollars from uh, Jeff Bezos, who himself owns the Washington Post. Um, he's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he's also closely connected to the American Enterprise Institute, which um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know that the American Enterprise Institute is probably, if not one of, if not the most, uh, you know, influential neoconservative think tank in 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 the country. You know, it's um. The, the figures, the scholars and, and, and its directors and its fellows, you know, have included people like Paul Wolfowitz, you know, uh, the architect of the Iraq war, uh, Richard Pearl, John Bolton, Fre Frederick Kagan. They were really instrumental on, you know, the war on terror um, and, and, you know, the expansion of the military empire and all of these things. What you're pointing out with these uh, examples of the, the, the advisory, the, the advisory board, and and uh, Krovitz as a, a co-CEO is that uh, they are all literally invested in narratives that uh, a lot that enable uh, military adventurism around the world, among other things. Exactly, and that's why we see a lot of bias, for example, in the sites that it has already rated green and red, or in other words, reliable and unreliable. Um, the most glaring example of this, in my opinion, is that they rated WikiLeaks unreliable, which I think is very telling, because even though they admit that WikiLeaks has perfect accuracy, they claim it's unreliable because it has never published uh, corrections for errors it has made, even though it admits it has made no errors, which is, you know, uh, clearly an, an, an underhanded move to try and... Um, prevent people who use NewsGuard uh, to not read WikiLeaks. And if you look at the people, you know, that I just mentioned, a lot of them, particularly Michael Hayden, for example, don't want, uh, have been, you know, uh, against WikiLeaks, uh, adamantly against WikiLeaks, and have also promoted the prosecution of, of Julian Assange. Krovitz himself actually wrote a Wall Street Journal column about how Julian Assange should be prosecuted under the Espionage Act. Um, which I think it is itself very telling. So, you know, um, you're also seeing a lot of, 
you know, uh, and, and basically, you know, it's promoted itself as nonpartisan on the fact that it has also, um, you know, rated conservative and, you know, left-leaning establishment news sites all green, claiming that makes it nonpartisan. But what you see if you start to look at all the different ratings um, that NewsGuard has given to these websites is that consistently establishment news websites or website news websites that promote establishment narratives are green, and those that are rated red are are very often um, ones that do not, right? Or ones that challenge um, those narratives. Obviously, in the red, you get a whole, you know, it's it, it, the red rated sites are a mixed bag because, of course, you're going to get some, you know, false pages in there that NewsGuard, you know, most frequently touts those like three pages in particular as being the examples of why their service is necessary and why their research by quote veteran journalists is is helpful and and beneficial and all of this but what they don't tell you is that you know the people in this organization it's it's CEOs and the people that are also you know it's investors which we can get to in a little bit and its board of advisors all have a vested interest in maintaining establishment narratives and as we know, and as we've seen as this fight against so-called fake news has gone on, is that this is really about silencing uh, challenges to establishment narratives. Because, you know, if you can make your point with facts and evidence, and, and, that, and those facts and evidence challenge an establishment, uh, establishment narrative, you know, um, that's a threat to these people and a lot of the organizations they're connected to. Mm. Now, you, you mentioned uh, or alluded to uh, some of the major investors in this group, one of them being Publicis Group, which is a, a major uh, global communicator. And then you state in your article that uh, they're, among their top clients are uh, pharmaceutical giants like Eli Lilly, Merck, Pfizer, and Bayer Monsanto, as well as uh, companies like Starbucks, Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, Kraft Heinz, Burger King, and the governments of Australia and Saudi Arabia, you know, and, and anyone, all of these uh, entities are, uh, you know, are, are worthy of criticism uh, and, and informed criticism. And uh, you, you're suggesting there's a conflict there you know, with, with the advisors, you know, when these are clients of uh, one of the investors of this uh, NewsGuard organization that could... Uh, potentially flag uh, critics like Global Research or Mint Press News or, or other outlets, right? Right. Well, um, the, the fact that the publicist group there is significant um, in, in a large part also because of a service that NewsGuard um, is offering to corporations that is called BrandGuard. And what BrandGuard does is that if you opt into it, you can blacklist sites that are rated red by NewsGuard um, from your ads, which basically would deprive all red rated sites from ad revenue from companies that buy into BrandGuard. And by virtue of the fact that the publicist group is a major investor in BrandGuard and represents all these major corporations, you know, um, strongly suggests to me that there is basically a built in market for this BrandGuard already that would be publicist group clients that also, you know, for obvious reasons have interest in establishment narratives. And I think, you know, um, in my opinion, at least, when we look at the, the rankings of, of sites and whatnot, you know, the fact that the publicist group represents basically the uh, pretty much all of the most powerful pharmaceutical companies in the world. It's really interesting to see that, that NewsGuard consistently rates a lot of alternative health pages or natural health pages red, which is actually really interesting um, because, you know, even ones that are like, you know, like Dr. Merkula, his website, which is like, he's a New York Times bestseller um, and promoter of natural medicine and natural remedies and all this stuff. You know, he, he's been marked as unreliable. Um, 
And, you know, obviously these pharmaceutical companies have an, have a vested interest in people not pursuing um, alternatives to pharmaceutical, um, you know, uh, cures or, or you know, med- medications, things like that. Them looking for alternative cures to health problems. Obviously, they have a vested interest in, in against that. So it's interesting to see that NewsGuard has actually generated backlash um, from the natural health community. And actually, when I was doing research on NewsGuard, the only people that I had seen write about NewsGuard previous to my report on them were alternative, uh, were, were natural health sites, which I think is, is significant in that case. There's several other investors that are troubling in NewsGuard as well. You have um, a top executive at U.S. government contractor, Booz Allen Hamilton. You have Thomas Glosser, who's former CEO of Thomson Reuters. He's also a board, uh, a member of the board at Merck, um, a massive pharmaceutical company. He's also on the board uh, of Morgan Stanley and on the Council on Foreign Relations and also the Atlantic Council, right? So um, we also have um, the Blue Haven Initiative is a major investor in NewsGuard as well. And this, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Blue Haven Initiative is the impact investment fund of the Pritzker family, which is uh, one of the wealthiest families in, in the United States. Um, most people might know them as the, the owners of the, the Hyatt Hotel chain. But what a lot, of, a lot of people don't know is that their family was also the second largest financial contributor to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. And if we remember, and if we remember back, back to that election, you know, all this stuff about fake news and, and whatnot started because Hillary Clinton lost that campaign. And what was one of the things that her campaign and she eventually ended up blaming for that loss? Fake news. So it's really interesting to see, you know, this group. Um, or this this family, you know, olig- oligarch family, you know, being connected to this this outfit of, of news ranking sites fighting so-called fake news. NewsGuard has been having some difficulty getting people to voluntarily comply with their uh, their news ranking system. Currently, they're trying to use, as you write in a, a follow up article from January thirtieth, they're uh, they're turning to the EU. To, to try to get them to impose it on some of these on on the the major social media uh, outlets that are that have signed on to a uh, an effort to to clean out uh, disinformation that might be uh, proliferating. Y- y- if they can't get voluntary compliance, they're trying to force it in through a kind of bureaucratic approach, involuntarily. So, could you maybe uh, address that aspect of it? Sure. Well, um, first, it's important to point out that on my original expose um, on this group, um, I noted that, you know, their their executives and uh, have openly stated that their plan is to have NewsGuard. It's currently a voluntary browser plugin, but they have stated that their ultimate goal is to have it an involuntary part of use uh, uh, of the Internet um uh, of a user of the internet's experience, you know, pretty much for everyone in the United States and eventually globally. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, that has not been going uh, as planned. The the tech companies, which originally when, when NewsGuard was launched in March uh, 2018, um, they had anticipated that in a few months, all the major tech companies and social media companies would have signed on. So far, the only Silicon Valley company that has signed up um, or partnered with them has been Microsoft. And through that partnership is how we've seen NewsGuard, you know, um, 
put on all the public library computers in, in the state of Hawaii, for example, and in a few other public library systems um, in the United States and also in um, a, a handful of universities in the United States as well. Um, but what's happened since then, um, because they're not getting the response from these big tech companies that they had expected, they're looking to um, uh, a piece of uh, or a, a code of practice, as it's called in, 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 the, in the European Union, that isn't really known very well in, in the U.S. or Canada. It's called the Code of Practice on Disinformation, and it was passed by the European Commission of the, the European Union, um, you know, which, you know, is, is more bureaucracy than democracy, right? So <laughs> they're basically having, <laughs> right, so they're, um, you know, Basically, what what the EU has done here through this code of practice is that they they've basically put it upon tech companies, social media companies, to to do all these measures to placate them, showing that they placate the EU, showing that they're fighting so-called fake news. Um, otherwise, they will be uh, regulated by the EU. They will be subject to government regulation. It's basically the ultimatum that the EU has given them. So basically, NewsGuard um, is trying to uh, take advantage of that. Recently, they went to a, a European Union uh, hosted conference about countering online disinformation. And there, um, one of uh, the other CEOs of NewsGuard, Stephen Brill, there, there are two CEOs, uh, he announced not only is NewsGuard going to be launching for uh, European companies that they're going to have. Um, NewsGuard for uh, Italy, for Italy, Germany, France, and 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 you know the UK. Um, that they are also trying to talk to library systems in Europe, and they are attempting to partner um, with the European Broadcasting Union, which is the the world's largest um, community of government-funded media organizations in in Europe. It includes you know the BBC um, as an example, and also partner with a. Uh, SOMA, which is, calls itself a disinformation observatory that's funded by the EU and also funded by Google. Um, so I think, you know, um, it's pretty significant here what NewsGuard's trying to do. They're trying to get, um, you use this as a selling point to companies like Facebook and Twitter, um, because if, if, if they are able to ingratiate themselves with these groups that are already funded by the EU, or funded by EU governments, you know, the, the case is easier, it's easier for them to convince tech companies that they can help, you know, this concern about government regulation of their services that the EU has threatened, um, that they can help solve that problem. NewsGuard is not profitable unless it licenses its rating system to these tech companies, right? And several of these, um, uh, several recent articles on NewsGuard and the mainstream media have actually mentioned that if it fails to partner with, with a, a large social media company like Facebook or Twitter, it's likely to fail, which I think is significant. So I think because of the pushback they have gotten in the United States, um, they've decided to go to the EU, the EU bureaucracy specifically, um, to use this sort of ultimatum that the European Union has issued to basically force the hand of, of these tech companies in adopting NewsGuard and making it an involuntary part of social media experience, which has, you know, been the ultimate goal really from, from the get-go if you look back at the interviews of of the people who run run this organization. Um, it's important to point out though that the, the pushback that has been received by NewsGuard isn't just critical uh, reporting from, from Mint Press or you know, other subsequent reports done by um, other out outlets, but also has to do with the fact that um, independent tech experts um, had, had looked into the code of the plugin itself and found that it was um, storing and collecting information on the people who used it. 
which it didn't disclose originally in its privacy policy. And even though it updated its privacy policy after it was exposed, they, they basically issued, you know, what I would call the trust us response, saying that, you know, they promise that they don't share, store permanently the information that they collect. But, you know, given that, you know, um, one of their co-CEOs, who I mentioned earlier, Lewis Gordon Krovitz, he's repeatedly defended an illegal NSA surveillance. And, you know, former NSA director Michael Hayden, who oversaw that surveillance operation, is on the board of advisors. I think it's um, that that ended up resulting in them getting pushback um, from, from another angle. They actually had the, the former co-founder of Mozilla, you know, a Firefox, um, call it a bad operation all around. So you're having pushback, um, not just from, you know, independent media, you're having it from you know, technologists as well. And you're also seeing it even from the Pointner Institute, which is Facebook's third-party fact-checking organization. One of the people who runs their fact-checking, the Pointner Institute's fact-checking network came out and called NewsGuard's a system reductive. So when you have Facebook's, you know, third-party fact-checking partner uh, slamming NewsGuard and, and, and calling it a bad system, I think that um, helps explain why we're seeing social media companies in the U.S. unwilling to adopt it. And, you know, um, I would consider the fact they're going to the EU uh, to do this really a desperate move to try and keep their their business afloat because it's been almost a year since they launched and they don't have the big partnerships they had been counting on. I suppose that's good news for uh, for independent media, but uh, I suppose that uh, they're, they're going to keep trying uh, if, uh, even if they don't succeed uh, through the EU that uh, or, 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 or some other mechanism. But you've got uh, your, your two articles, and I don't know if there's a, a third coming out, but uh, Whitney, thank you so much. I, I think that you're um, you're doing a great job uh, here, and you're uh, an intrepid journey, a real inspiration. And I, I really encourage people to, to check out your articles at Mint Press News. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We've been speaking with Whitney Webb, a staff writer for Mint Press News, and you can check out her articles on uh, the NewsGuard story by visiting mintpressnews.com. NewsGuard is certainly not the first salvo against dissident media in the name of fighting fake news. When we return, we'll be joined by a researcher who will give us some background on the post-2016 crackdown, including the purging of hundreds of sites from Facebook and Twitter last October. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. We're joined by Patrick Henningsen. He is a writer, global affairs analyst, and the founder of 21stCenturyWire.com. That's 21stCenturyWire.com. He appears as a regular guest commentator on RT News International. He's host of the Sunday Wire uh, weekly radio show broadcast and a frequent co-host of UK Column. His work has appeared in a number of international publications, uh, including The Guardian, Consortium News, and also on channels like Al Jazeera English, ITN Edge Media, and uh, US, the U.S. syndicated radio show Coast to Coast AM. Uh, Patrick Henningsen joins us now to help navigate us through the hazards facing independent online media outlets throughout the West, and particularly the U.S., the U.K., and Canada, in the name of... Uh, protection from uh, foreign interference and and Russian disinformation and uh, so on. So, uh, Patrick, it's great to have you back on the Global Research News Hour. Uh, Great to be with you, Michael. I wanted to draw your attention, first of all, to the fact that uh, 
since 2016, at least, there seems to be some real uh, uh, concern being expressed about how their foreign actors are interfering and, and passing on uh, disinformation and so on. Uh, and of course, this was, of course, in the context of the unexpected election of Donald Trump in the U.S. presidential election campaign. But I think there is a, a legit, there's a concern that uh, on the part of the establishment that uh, the, the mainstream media, the corporate media, has been unsuccessful in completely controlling the narratives that we're seeing around foreign policy or you know in the US NATO and so on and so you have independent outlets uh, like yours 21st century wire and uh, you know global research and others that are uh, getting successful in getting their uh, contrarian viewpoints heard and so as a result we're seeing a lot of messaging that uh, is, is countering what we're hearing, for example, about the um, Russian annexation of uh, Crimea or the white helmets in Syria or uh, you're currently the, the Venezuelan situation where we've got this brutal dictator and uh, he was not fairly elected and so we've got to rec- rep- recognize the, uh, another candidate as the true interim president. So... Uh, Considering that, I wanted to get your thoughts about how that's happening, and we're seeing currently the the, the current uh, or the, what we saw last year, the 2018 uh, alliance a partnership between Facebook and uh, the Atlantic Council, because it seems like this, uh, you know, we, we, since that partnership was forged, we're starting to see a lot of uh you know this information that the these counter narratives uh being threatened and attacked and and outright purged from uh from social media so maybe i i could get you to to, to give us a little bit of a, a background on the trajectory of of this effort to uh, contain and uh, restrict inconvenient mer- narratives in the in the name of um fighting fake news as it's called yeah, the, the, you know, as time goes by, it's becoming more clear. I think when when the sort of the the crusade against fake news was officially launched uh, was in the immediate aftermath of Donald Trump's victory uh, in November of 2016. Clearly, the first salvos were fired. I think uh, the L.A. Times fired what was one of the first uh, shots uh, across the bow uh, with an article that uh, cited an uh, obscure academic from Merrimack College. Uh, in Massachusetts, uh, Melissa Zimdars, Dr. Melissa Zimdars, who put out a fake news list of websites that her students uh, should be wary of, uh, sort of a fake news guide that was syndicated in the LA Times and then sort of rippled on from there. Soon after that, the Washington Post uh, promoted a, a sock puppet organization called Proper Not, and devised a list of a couple of hundred alternative media websites uh, in Europe and mostly in America and Canada uh, that it deemed to be in league with the Kremlin or part of some shadowy Kremlin propaganda network. So global research, by the way, was included in, uh, I think, both of those lists, along with a lot of other popular titles, including what well, we were included in the uh, Zimdars list, the initial list. So this this was interesting 
so that was the beginning of it. And then this kind of dovetailed with this uh, Russian conspiracy that the Russians somehow got Donald Trump elected. And so these two things absolutely go hand in hand. You can't separate them. And so it, what, it, what it looks like is the establishment of tried to leverage the anger and the angst uh, from mainly from the democratic or liberal side of the political spectrum in America uh, to, to convince the public that there is this problem of fake news uh, fueled mainly by the Russians <laughs> and how it's meddled and influenced and distorted the American uh, democracy, electoral system, etc. And in Europe over Brexit, the same methodology is applied uh, to sort of blame Brexit on fake news. And so there's this call across the Atlantic uh, through all the major political establishments in, in Brussels, uh, in London, and in Washington, that we need to fight this problem of fake news. This is the biggest threat to Western civilization right now, uh, is the sort of the influence, the meddling, uh, the hacking, uh, and so forth. And so they've, they've kind of managed to plow quite a lot of money in to this uh, there's a number of things uh, it's a it's a gravy train it's a feed if you're a PhD student uh, and you want to get a research grant something that's related to AI and policing fake news there's a lot of money available there's tons of, of incubating projects going on right now in a number of universities in Europe in the UK in in North America around the world and so this the idea that you can automate the policing of fake news so so in at the same time this is going on the mainstream media are putting confab organizations together uh, like the New York Times the Washington Post teaming up with Silicon Valley to create organizations like the first draft coalition uh, which is advising governments advising Silicon Valley uh, ad advising media as well and educational institutions on how to spot fake news and so forth and how, what we what we can do about this in terms of algorithmal management of the problem and then you have uh, actual business model uh, organizations like NewsGuard uh, which is was in the news recently basically they will uh, physically fact check for fake news and so they've got a contract with Facebook so this is a hugely lucrative business model uh, so Snopes is no longer doing the fact checking for Facebook now NewsGuard is doing it and who's on the board of NewsGuard uh, former NSA head CIA heads like Michael Hayden uh, people from the mainstream media from Time magazine notorious CIA limited hangouts uh, mainstream organizations. Uh, so basically professional propagandists uh, and the security state are put in charge of this uh, supposed to solve this problem. The, the, and, and in the end, it's been quite obvious from a couple of things, including the uh, exposure of the integrity initiative leaks in the UK. Uh, which which spans to the United States. This is a network, a government-funded network of mainstream journalists, military intelligence operatives, bureaucrats, and basically an, the anti-Russian think tank uh, uh, organizations to basically seed uh, effectively propaganda, anti-Russian propaganda, and to run smear campaigns against any pro-Russian political figures, journalists, and so forth. Run them off the road, basically. So that, that shows us the real problem 
the 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 Russia Gate itself. I think the biggest takeaway from this is that it's allowed corporations to collude with governments to censor, to give license for a full-on aggressive program of censorship uh, in media and pushing propaganda through mainstream media, fake news stories. Could you comment on exactly what the motives would be for for Facebook and and Twitter to forge these partnerships with the Atlantic Council and all these figures that you just mentioned? Because they are private corporations, right? Uh, yeah, well, the Atlantic Council is a think t- is supposedly a think tank, uh, and it's it receives a wide range of supports, uh, a lot of money from the Gulf Arab states. Uh, it's it's received support from NATO. Uh, it receives support from corporations. Uh, so, but you could say that this is a kind of a, a government corporate quango. Okay, and I've been a target personally of the Atlantic Council's DFR labs in a defamation campaign, uh, which they've uh, launched launched to sort of defame me and, and others as well that spoke up against people like John McCain, for instance, uh, or who, who dared to veer from the mainstream orthodoxy. So, but what, what this essentially is, Michael, is outsourcing. These are all things, information warfare used to be the purview, under the purview of the CIA, or under, strictly under NATO. In fact, NATO's information warfare department was run for a while, I don't know if it still is, but out of the University of Toronto, out of the Monk School. So that's where the, that's where the information warfare uh, operation was based for NATO for a while. Uh, I don't know if it still is, but now it's been outsourced to a number of organizations, like the Atlantic Council, uh, is a good is a good example. But there's many others: the Institute of Statecraft, uh, the Integrity Initiative in the UK. We can see that that's a network that spreads across. It overlaps with mainstream media. It overlaps with government. It overlaps with corporations. Uh, so and the, the, the objective is essentially to beat back um, any narratives that are challenging the mainstream orthodoxy, either on the Skripal affair, on Syria, on Russia, Russiagate, Bill Browder. Uh, right across the board. So it's 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 just trying to wrestle control of of the narrative. And I think they've the, the, let me just say as well, the Atlantic Council and the DFR labs and the integrity initiative, it operates almost identically like the Israeli lobby operates. The organizational pattern, the methodology, the structure, the way they uh, spring into action, it's the same exact, system that the Israeli lobby has used very successfully in the United States for years and years, and that's a military operation. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Al Jazeera lobby, Israeli lobby documentary that was spiked by Al Jazeera, you can watch all four episodes on electronic intifada, and you can see this is a, this is a planned military uh, operation. It's an information warfare operation, and the, the Russia stroke fake news uh, uh, attack vectors are basically identical in terms of the way that they're rolled out. To, to be clear, I mean, there is such a thing as fake news proliferating, proliferating on the internet, right? I mean, you're just saying that basically it's just being used as a pretext for uh, going, shutting down these sorts of dissenting views. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is fake news. Um, in, but if you actually, there, for instance, uh, one of the biggest fake news producers was a Democratic Party operative uh, named Christopher Blair. And this was actually uh, reported by the BBC. Uh, 
But they did it in this kind of glowing fashion. They presented it in kind of documentary form saying, oh, what a good thing he did, posing as a Republican, uh, uh, an unhinged uh, Republican nut job and got accounts shut down and basically fed a lot of this fake news onto Facebook during this election cycle and was making money hand over fist uh, in terms of ad impressions on this. And the sort of the gravy train on that side died down. And he admitted that he was a Democrat uh, activist. And he did this to make the right look bad. And the mainstream media just reported this like it was no big deal. But so, so there's a level of, <laughs> the, 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 and he employed staff. I mean, it was a big operation. So there's a level of sophistication here uh, that you need to unpack that all is not what it appears to be. Now, there is there is fake stories and there is an, um, uh, a business in fake news in terms of clickbait, okay? But if you look at that in terms – there's no proof that says – uh, a fake story like uh, Hillary was shipping arms to ISIS or what, all these various other – the Pope endorsed Donald Trump. Some of these were the big uh, fake news stories that made a lot of the headlines. Now, there's no there's no proof or no way to, to, to say that, that that influenced people's votes. And it, you don't even know the amount – they go by the metrics. Oh, this has been shared and read X amount of thousands of times, more than a New York Times article. This, they would often quote this. But people share things for different reasons. They share them because they're ridiculous. They share them because they're funny, because they're outrageous. This is how social media works. Um, so there's never been any scientific uh, uh, study to show how any of this influenced any, anybody's vote in the 2016 election. So the whole premise of it is ridiculous uh, on a level, but... If you look at the fake news produced by mainstream media, you look at the, the fake Russia stories, Paul Manafort visited Julian Assange. That was a big Guardian front page headline before Christmas. The, these things have the, the media impressions go into the billions. This just dwarfs any of the little fake news stories kicking around on social media. You mentioned this integrity initiative before. I, I suspect that a lot of people in Canada and even many of my listenership have never heard of it. Uh, it, was an, it was an operation that was formed in late 2015, and the documents had been leaked by uh, uh, Anonymous. And I know you took the time to, to go into detail and, and, and investigate uh, you know, all of that documentation, uh, albeit with a, a skeptical eye. And apparently, it, it's, a, it's a kind of an intelligence secret service functioning not only in Britain, but uh, the United States, uh, across Europe, and, and even in Canada. So could you give us a little bit more background on, uh, on the people behind the I.I.? Yeah, and the Integrity Initiative uh, was spawned out of a, a cryptic uh, named think tank called the Institute of Statecraft, which was founded in uh, 2006, but was dormant until many years later. And the Integrity Initiative was funded to the tune of billions of, not sorry, millions of pounds, not billions, millions of pounds by the uh, UK uh, Foreign and Commonwealth Office. And I guess this would be under the guise of information warfare and so forth. Uh, and is, is Cold Warriors essentially behind it? I think the the the, the person who founded it, uh, the Integrity Initiative, is uh, I believe Chris Donnelly is a real Cold Warrior with with Cold War pedigree. So very anti-Russian, uh, very much in that vein. 
so, it, but it's organized in clusters. There's a cluster of journalists, uh, bureaucrats, uh, operatives in Canada, in in America, and in the UK, in 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 France, in Germany, in Croatia, Czech Republic, all the NATO countries, essentially, uh, Spain, and so forth. So the the clusters will spring into action if if there's an alert in their country. For instance, in Spain, uh, there was an appointment of a defense minister, uh, which uh, Pedro Banias, I believe his name was, and that was spiked within hours because Integrity sprung into action and ran a defamation campaign of him across social media and pressured uh, the, the, the government to sort of withdraw uh, his his appointment, as it were. Yeah, that sounds like uh, interference uh, in uh, the, the political process of another country, which is precisely what they're accusing Russia of doing. I would say so. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a yeah. This 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 defense minister was too friendly to Russia, and so they painted him to be a complete uh, lunatic, basically, and took quotes out of context. Said he believed in aliens and UFOs, the usual. Uh, and so that was, and they boasted about this in their documentation, which was which was leaked as well. I mean, that's just that's just scratching the surface. If you go and look at all the different five uh, tranches of of leaks from this, it's 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 stunning what what they get up to, uh, trying to frame, uh, trying to get Arabs to become pro NATO, more sympathetic to NATO. They have all these objectives that they want to achieve. So, but this was always done by the intelligence services. It's just now it's coming out of the shadows and it's it's being outsourced to mainstream media officially to think tanks um, and the Atlantic Council and the DRFR labs are at the center hub of the integrity initiative by the way so they are central to this operation there's been a um some movement in Canada to act on this notion of foreign interference in elections. Uh, just last, on January 30th, there was a big announcement by the Minister of Democratic Institutions, Karen Gould, uh, standing alongside, or sitting alongside the Minister of Defense and the Public Safety Minister, mentioning that the so-called, crit- this so-called critical election incident public protocol group, uh, consisting of five bureaucrats, will alert the public if they become aware of interference during an election campaign period, or there's one coming, uh, an election coming at the end of uh, uh, 2019. Um, And it cites as an example the tainted U.S. presidential election of 2016 and the Brexit vote. And the report mentions that the panel will be made up of the clerk of the Privy Council, the Federal National Security and Intelligence Advisor, the Deputy Minister of Justice, the Deputy Minister of Public Safety, the Deputy Minister of Global Affairs Canada. And and while the deputy positions are government appointments by the minister, uh, the minister states that these bureaucrats served under both liberal and conservative governments. So um, that makes them somehow nonpartisan. But this, of course, ignores the fact that there's a bipartisan consensus between both liberals and conservatives when it comes to international policy. Um, so, but, you know, if you're an indie journalist like yourself or, or myself that defy that consensus, I mean, I'm concerned that they they, they could flag such journalists as, uh, I don't know, pro-Russian uh, or, or interfering with the election if that the messaging should go viral. So, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on this, but and, and I don't expect that you've studied this uh, program in detail, but given what you know about uh, you know the, the parallels that you've seen in the United States and the United Kingdom, I mean, Canada is a Five Eyes country and a NATO partner. Um, 
what what sorts of red flags does such a, a panel raise for you? Well, uh, you you've actually answered the question uh, within your question, Mike, because the, what they're what they're essentially doing is lining up to attack any anyone who goes off uh, what what is the sort of the streamlined narrative. And uh, Theresa May announced the rapid response mechanism back in June. I believe this was at the G, uh, the G7 meeting. And what and what she said was, we need to all be on script. France, the UK, the US, Canada, uh, in response to anything Russia is doing or any Russian-related incidents like Skripal or whatever, or chemical weapons attack in Duma, etc. Okay, and th- and that was the most important thing that the press and the governments are all on message. There's a united front. So you can see what's going on here. You said you talked about the five eyes, six eyes, seven, eight, nine eyes, um, coordinating the messaging, coordinating the narrative. So Global Research or 21st Century Wire uh, or a number of other independent media outlets who aren't singing that tune uh, are seen as basically a hole in in the dam, basically. Uh, with, with where another narrative is getting out, and you're absolutely right that this is a bipartisan consensus. You know, they're they're, they're and, and it's also they're, they're criminalizing a one activity. They're criminalizing free speech. They're criminalizing news, n- not just news, analysis and commentary, opinion basically. So we're not. They're more afraid of the analysis and the commentary than they are of quote fake news. They're afraid of intelligent uh, uh, debate, intelligent analysis, because this resonates with a lot of people because they're not getting it on mainstream media. So that's why they're looking for intelligent uh, news and analysis and commentary online from independent outlets. It's simple. It's supply and demand. We've got the supply and the demand is out there. The mainstream media aren't aren't giving the supply. They're giving just basically uh, a vapid, banal the same old churn, basically. It's just a robotic Orwellian uh, doublespeak, and people people aren't aren't liking it anymore. So this is the problem. They restrict the uh, the parameters of the debate. So, example with v- Venezuela, they're saying, well, you know, uh, the debate is around whether or not there should be a military intervention, and not you know, whether or not the the, the basic. Uh, Assumption that uh, Maduro has been uh, somehow undemocratically uh, elected to power, or the, the the legitimacy of having Guaido Juan Guaido as the uh, the interim president, um, Patrick. I, I just want to, to kind of close with your thoughts about how uh, you know the, the anti-war, anti-imperialist, uh, those who dissent from uh, these state agendas, what. Hope is there. What what can be done to to counter these these influences? Because we've been reliant for a couple of decades now on the internet as an alternative that that we can uh, embrace fairly easily, in both to receive and express these con- dissenting concerns. So, what what would, what is your suggestion as to how one can push back against these dark agendas? Uh, it, it, that's a difficult one uh, because the, because the, the the internet is now the threat to the establishment. And it, it, because it goes across borders, they're accusing it of influencing and meddling and et cetera in all elections. So basically our democratic processes, according to our overlords, are threatened by the free flow of information. So they, they're blaming in Russia for it at the moment, but soon they'll, they'll start blaming everybody. Uh, or they're already claiming that everybody's in league with the Kremlin. 
uh, and threatening uh, with counter narratives and somehow that's destabilizing society. This is a big problem. I don't know what the solution is to this other than if they're coming after independent outlets, which they are doing, people need to double up their support for those independent outlets. They need to start sharing things on social media. They need to be more vocal. They need to be more active, not less active. They need to be less self-censoring of their speech, not not more self-censoring. This, this is the only uh, logical reaction that's going to overcome uh, what is clearly a sort of tyranny uh, uh, agenda that's 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 being implemented right now right in front of our eyes so it make no mistake it's happening right now it's it's right in front of us there is a massive power grab going on right now it's happening now it's not something that's happening in 10 years it's happening now and it's international it's across the five eyes as you said and it's very real and people need to get they need to activate now and they need to sort of really put their money where their mouth is in terms of, of, of support, listenership, sharing, uh, just you know, helping to promulgate uh, good quality information. Patrick Henningsen, I really appreciate uh, your uh, perspectives on this and your uh, you know the thoroughness of your research and, and your diligence diligence in uh, you know, providing uh, this analysis and, and making it available to, to so many of us. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, you know all the best with your your work. You too, Mike. Keep up the great work. You you got a fantastic program as well, uh, Global Research News Hour, and uh, yeah, we need you in the fight too. So, and uh, look forward to more broadcasts from from your side too. We've been joined by Patrick Henningsen, a writer, global affairs analyst, and founder of Twenty First Century Wire dot com, and uh, he joined us from Plymouth. One final note. If the social media like Facebook and Twitter and the ubiquitous search engine Google have been compromised and are actively being used to block dissident opinion on the pretext of cleaning up fake news, then it is more urgent than ever to support CKUW and other community radio stations that air programs such as the Global Research News Hour. Radio station CKUW is located at the University of Winnipeg in downtown Winnipeg on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Nihiawak, and the Nakota, and the heartland of the Red River Métis. To maintain the station's operating costs and uphold our commitment to supporting independent journalism that dares to question, challenge, and enlighten, we depend on listener support to make it happen. My name is Michael Welch. I've hosted and produced the Global Research News Hour since 2012, and I am appealing to you, our listeners, particularly those who have been with us a long time, to take a stand in the fight for freedom of the press, free inquiry, and free thought, and donate what you can to a worthwhile endeavor. An important part of resisting oppressive corporate policies and state violence is disrupting their narratives. And by donating to CKUW and its affiliates, you help us achieve and restore true democracy and a more humane and livable earth. On February 15th, we will be airing a live broadcast of the Global Research News Hour. This will be part of a fundraiser for the station we call FunDrive. Please consider visiting the website fundrive.ckuw.ca and donating $35, $70, $100 or whatever fits your budget. No strings attached to financial support from listeners like you is what keeps our program going and journalists like myself comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. That's it for this edition of the Global Research News Hour. You can send your feedback to globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. And you can stream our live show on Friday, February 15th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
11 a.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time at ckuw.ca. We'll be back in two weeks with regular programming. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.